Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the Gospel of the Lord. I think there are two things that, as a Christian, we want to get out of life, if you like, two, two goals that we, that we have. And one of them is that we lead a good life, that we live a God-honoring life, a God-pleasing life. That surely is one of them. And the second one must be that after our death, that we go on to have eternal life in the presence of God, in the new heaven and earth that the Bible tells us about. Those surely must be the two kind of aims, the two goals of a Christian life. But here's a question. Who is more likely to lead a good life and go to heaven? Someone who goes to church or a prostitute? That, that may sound like, like a very strange question. But the passage, the gospel passage this morning confronts us with the fact that in this account of, of Jesus' dinner with a Pharisee, the dinner ends by Jesus declaring that the woman who'd lived a sinful life, which we understand as meaning she'd been a prostitute, is saved by her faith and can now live a life of peace. And yet there's a big question mark over the Pharisee, who is the devout religious man. And the problem for all of us if we're church, regular churchgoers, is that really we're much more like the Pharisee than we are like the prostitute, aren't we? Well, we, we would think we would be. We would hope, in a sense, that we would be. So what's going on here? We need, we need to understand what's happening. 
So we're going to look at the three main characters in this story, the, uh, Jesus and uh, the Pharisee and uh, the woman. And we're going to try and understand what it would mean for us to leave with those words of Jesus, your faith has saved you, go in peace, your sins are forgiven. And it begins with Jesus being invited to dinner. And the first question I want to ask when I read this is, well, why did the Pharisee invite Jesus to dinner? And if we actually look on further in the passage, what we'll discover later on is that it seems that the Pharisee invited Jesus because he wanted to find out whether or not Jesus was for real, whether or not Jesus was the genuine article. Jesus at this time had become famous. He was, he was healing people all over northern Galilee, uh, northern Israel, the area that's called Galilee. He was casting out demons. He was telling of, of a new world which would be good news for the poor. And, and I think the Pharisee wanted to check him out. Is he the real person? And what happens is that they're having supper and this woman who, who must have heard about Jesus before, she comes in, she stands weeping at his feet. She lets her hair down, which was a pretty suggestive thing to do in those days. Um, not, you didn't do it in polite society. She, she dries his feet with her hair, she kisses his feet, she pours perfume over, over his feet. And, and the Pharisee, his mind is now made up. Jesus can't be the real thing because he's supposed to be a man of God, but he can't even see what a sinful woman has just been doing. And Jesus has just let her do it. He hasn't stopped her. He hasn't told her to, 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 to leave. And so Simon the Pharisee says in verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Conclusion, Jesus is not the real thing. That's where he is. But of course he's wrong. He's doubly wrong, triply wrong, because we know that Jesus knows exactly who this woman is and what her past has been. He knows the pain and, the, and, and the, the awful life that she's been leading. But what's more, we also know as we read the story that Jesus knew what was going on in Simon's heart. Simon had a blind spot. The Pharisee, he's called Simon. He had a blind spot. He just couldn't see it. And, and we're all like that. We all have blind spots. Well, everybody has a blind spot except for me. Do you get it? We all have blind spots. And what's more, not only do we not see our own blind spots, but if somebody suggests that we have one, we normally deny it. We normally still deny it. I was once, when I was training, um, um, I, was, I went to a church. Um, it's nowhere near here, so you don't try and guess where it is. I, I, and a vicar was giving some critical feedback to a curate who was, who was training there. And, and, the, and the vicar was trying to be nice, and he was saying, you know, you're doing a fantastic job, everything you're doing is very good, very good, and so on. But he said, the only thing is that when you get up to preach, or when you get up to lead a service, you, you speak in a holier-than-thou voice. And it, it just is false. It's not you. It's not the real person. It doesn't come across very well. And the curate reacted so angrily. I said, I do not. I do not do that. In fact, the curate then attacked the vicar, not physically, but verbally, and said, and said, well, when you do the sung Eucharist, you, it sounds like you're singing through your nose. And, and I was sort of sitting there trying to melt into the wall. I didn't know what to say. But he, the curate had a blind spot, and we all have blind spots in our lives that, that we don't see, but other people see in us. And Simon has a blind spot. And one of the ways 
that you can help someone to overcome a blind spot is to, rather than confront them like that vicar did, is to, is to tell them a story. And Jesus does that now, and he tells a story to Simon the Pharisee. And it's a story about two people in verse 41 who owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 30,000 pounds, and the other owed him 3,000 pounds. That's the equivalent in today's money, because a denarius was a day's wages. So it's a lot of money. And then he says neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon the Pharisee thinks about it and he says, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And that seems right. I mean, you'd imagine if you were let off a £30,000 debt, you'd be even more pleased than someone who'd be let off a £3,000 debt. And so Jesus says to him, you've judged correctly. But then Jesus drops the bombshell. He looks across at the woman and he says to Simon, do you see that woman? Which is a very good question because, of course, Simon hasn't really seen her in terms of who she is. But he says, do you see that woman? That woman, has she she washed my feet with her tears. You didn't even give me a bowl of water to wash my feet when I came in. That was a common courtesy for visitors in those days. And, And then he says... Uh, And he says, she has been kissing my feet all night. You didn't even greet me with a kiss when I arrived, which was common courtesy for an an honoured guest. He says, you didn't even give me oil for my hair, which is something you'd give a visitor so they they could smooth their hair down and be nice and fresh and tidy. And she has poured perfume on my feet. Perfume was worth a hundred times more than oil. That's what she's done. And so Jesus concludes, we can see so much love in her heart that her sins are forgiven. And and he declares her sins are forgiven in verse 48. And And he finishes up by saying to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And And yet... We don't know, really, what happened in Simon's heart. We were left with this big question mark, this devout religious man, this Pharisee. What, where is he with all of this? Did he get it? Did he understand his blind spot? We don't know. We're left guessing. His blind spot is pride. His pride is so great that not only does he think he's much better than the woman, but he also thinks he's better than Jesus. Because because Jesus couldn't even see what kind of woman this was. And and yet he, Simon the the, the Pharisee, he knew. He was even better. That's how how his pride was. And pride is any time that we look at someone else and we think, I'm better than that person. Any time we perhaps, someone arrives at at a party and, and, and we look at what they're dressed in, we think, oh. Any time... We think, gosh, I'm cleverer than that person. And we all have pride in our hearts. C.S. Lewis said this about pride. He said it's the essential vice, the utmost evil. He says sexual immorality, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of those things are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And there's, there's pride lurking in all of us. Sometimes it comes out in less serious ways. I, I was proud the other day at the dragon boat racing we did on the Thames. And 
Martin organised the team and he'd made me captain, probably because I was the vicar. And so, because I was the captain, I put myself in the front row, paddling in the front row. Do you know, the front row is very important in a dragon boat. It tends to set the pace for the other people behind you. And if you get it wrong, it doesn't work. Do you know, I learnt, just before we started racing, that in our team, we had a young man who's just spent two years in Hong Kong in one of the top dragon boat teams, and they won the Stanley Cup this year in Hong Kong. It's the top dragon boat racing in the world, virtually. Did I put him in the front row? No. He wasn't the captain. Do you know what happened? We had, in our first two races, we recorded the worst two times by about 10 seconds compared to any other team. And eventually, the penny dropped. And I realised I was being absolutely stupid. I was this pride. I'm the captain. I'll go in the front row. So I said to Chris, who's Chris Keel, who's this fantastic dragon boat racer, I said, Chris, you go in the front. Well, the next race, we knocked eight seconds off our time. And the race after that, we knocked another four seconds off and beat Greyfriars by a third of a second. That wasn't the important thing, of course. But, but once I'd got pride out of the way, it sorted the problem out, didn't it? Now, that's a trivial example, perhaps. But pride is, it, it eats away at us. And this is a, a, a C.S. Lewis again. He's really strong on this. It's a terrible thing that the worst of all vices, it can smuggle itself into the very centre of our religious life. But you can see why. Pride comes direct from hell. It's purely spiritual. Consequently, it it is far more subtle and deadly. As long as we are proud, we cannot know God. So what are we to do? What are we to do about this pride? Well, I think the account of Jesus' dinner with the Pharisee has the answer. And the answer is we need to look at the woman, at what the woman does. Because this woman has led a simply dreadful life. We'd, it probably wasn't all her fault. She may have, we have no idea whether she turned to the life she did because of, 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 of hunger or, or whatever it was. We, we just don't know. But the woman arrives that evening because she's already recognised her sin. That's the first thing, is that she's recognised what's gone wrong in her life. And she's come to find Jesus because she knows he's the answer. We don't know whether or not she had seen him preaching um, in the weeks beforehand or whether she just heard about him, whether she'd seen him heal some. We don't know. But she came that night knowing that she accepted all that had gone wrong in her life and she wanted to change. So she recognised her sin and she, she decided to repent, to turn away from all the wrong things in her life. And so she stands at the feet of Jesus and she weeps as she, I don't know, all that, all that brokenness, all of the bad stuff that's got on in her life. She stands at the feet of Jesus and she weeps. And she comes to him and she worships him, doesn't she? In, in, in her actions. Washes his feet. Kisses his feet. Pours the perfume out. The perfume is, is a wonderful sign of repentance because... That perfume would have been worth a fortune. It would have been part of her business, if you like. Um, And here she is just pouring it over the feet of Jesus, because Jesus is the answer. And she comes to Jesus because she knows that's the only place she can be forgiven. She can't find forgiveness anywhere else. And so that's what we're to do. We're We're to be like the woman. We're to recognize that we cannot save ourselves. We can't, our, our self-salvation projects come to nothing 
Simon the Pharisee probably thought by keeping all the rules and doing good things that, that he was a good person. But his heart was hard, wasn't it? And so we need to be like the woman. We need to come with repentant hearts, recognizing the pride in our lives, the things that we need to get rid of, and coming to the only source of forgiveness that there is, and that's Jesus. And as I, I, how do we do that? Well, let's make a first step this morning. As we come up for communion, as we come up to receive the bread of life, and we take that bread of life, let's think of that as receiving Jesus' forgiveness and therefore being able to leave with peace in our hearts and in our lives. And as we take the, the wine, the cup of salvation it's known as, we can know that we're saved through the blood of Jesus, won for us on the cross. Jesus died for us so that we could be forgiven. The bread and the cup, the, the, the bread of life and the cup of salvation, as we come up, let's make that step today knowing that only Jesus can save us. Because then, then we can walk away from here, knowing Jesus' words, in, that the words that he said to that woman can apply to us. He said, your sins are forgiven. He said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen.